Good morning, everyone. Great to see you. Uh, a couple of announcements. If you weren't here for the meeting, we do uh, have new neighbors next door. And so I would just ask that if they are trading, if their sandwich boards are out, that we just avoid using their car parks just to be kind to them. Um, so I told them that we would try to honor that. If you park there, oh well. But uh, just for the future. Uh, also, if after the service you'd like to pray, I'll be up front and others also are available to pray. So please uh, um, avail yourself of that. Love to pray with you. We'll be in Ecclesiastes 10 if you want to turn there. And let's pray. God, we are so grateful for your kindness to us, for your provision of all good things, for the way that you speak to us through your word, for the opportunity to praise you in song together and to gather, to have fellowship, to open your word, to gain practical wisdom for living, but also to learn more about you and your righteous ways and your holiness. And uh, Lord, I pray that you would minister your truth to our hearts and that we would just still ourselves before you, Lord. You would fill us with your spirit. And you'd give us understanding of this truth and how to apply it to our lives practically. In Jesus' name, amen. I was surprised by a friend once. Uh, it was a situation that developed from neglect of cleaning out the boot. Some of you guys have some uh, young kids. And he, he kept uh, snacks and water bottles and stuff in the boot of his car. Uh, he lived in a rather rural area. And... Didn't really think much of it when one of the bags was a little broken up and there were some Cheerios or some sort of snack that was beginning to litter the boot. And he's like, oh, I got to clean that up. He slammed the boot and forgot all about it. Weeks, maybe a month later, he opens the boot again. He's like, I think there's something living in here. Those are like little bite marks on these water bottles. And this creature has everything it needs to live. It's got water. It's got food. And it uh, turned out there was a rat in the boot. And so eventually he got himself worked up to just to uh, remove the squatter, removed everything, cleaned it up. Yes, there was a rat in there. Uh, but really, the story illustrates the danger of neglect. Now, maybe you're comfortable with the idea of sharing space with a wild rodent that's uh, eating your children's food and walking all over their clothes and you know, making a mess of things. I'm not one of those people. I would be opening that boot like right away. Um, but really the neglect of our health, our relationships, our spiritual discipline, those are all really, they're probably more uh, likely to occur than the rat in the boot and neglect. We're going to see that this is a subject that's dealt with throughout this passage. It means to be careless, to avoid, or to refuse to do, to postpone or ignore to permit to remain when you could do something good to address it. Now, can we let that land on us somewhere and go, yeah, I can resonate with that. That neglect is a real, it's a real thing and it's real in my life. And God's provided his wisdom and his word. The neglect of wisdom that leads to grave problems in the world and in our lives. And it's fitting that sermons be informative. Hopefully um, they are, but more important than learning facts or trivial knowledge, it's to put into practice the things that we learn about God, to actually lay it to our hearts and make changes that God makes within us. 
in daily action uh, and negligence of wisdom. It just invites all sorts of trouble and trauma into our lives, much more than the damage of a mischief of rats could do. Ecclesiastes 10, starting in verse one, dead flies putrefy the perfumer's ointment and cause it to give off a foul odor. So does a little folly to one respected for wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart is at his right hand, but the fool, a fool's heart at his left. Even when a fool walks along the way, he lacks wisdom and he shows everyone that he is a fool. The preceding chapter it ended with one sinner destroys much good. And we see that continuing in the same vein that a perfumer would gather rare and often expensive materials together, mix these ingredients to smell good, to be uh, alluring, to be um, something that'd be attractive and modern perfumes. We know they should not be left open, exposed to oxygen because the, uh, that causes the, the fragrance to oxidize. And so it begins to lose um, some of the scent and a, a spray bottle would prevent this. But in Solomon's day, perfume and balm, they were covered for a different reason. It was to keep the bugs out of it because it smells, uh, it smells, the, the flies are attracted to it and then they die in it and begin to rot and decompose on something that you're going to put on your face or your body. And that is not, agreeable. And not only that, not only is it unsanitary, but it smells bad. It defeats the whole purpose of having this perfume that you smell like rotting flies. That that's just a horrid thought. This, this is not a caution against guys. Keep your ointments covered. Keep your, keep the lid on your perfume, but how a little folly in a respected and honorable person can destroy their reputation and their influence. There's someone who has a reputation for wisdom, but this little folly, it puts off a foul odor. It is something that's offensive to people and it, it removes your influence, your good influence on others. So the, the neglect of choosing wisdom to neglect, to humble ourselves or to, to see others as more important than ourselves, that causes offense. And this is warning against that. I heard this rebuke plenty as a kid from my dad. He would say, your attitude stinks. And he was right. My attitude did stink many times, but it's good that God puts people in our lives that will be honest with us and tell us the truth. Perfume that goes off, you can buy some more, but a spoiled or putrefied reputation, that's far harder to mend. Verse two, it says the right hand. Uh, a majority of people are right-handed. It's estimated 90% of people are right-hand dominant. So right hand dominant, it's stronger, more dexterous. Uh, we see this throughout scripture. For instance, when Moses praised God for his deliverance in Exodus 15, six, he says, your right hand, O Lord has become glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord has dashed the enemy in pieces. We see the right hand also connected with salvation in Psalm 63, eight. My soul follows close behind you. Your right hand upholds me. So this is not an indictment against left-hand dominant or ambidextrous people out there, but it's to provide biblical context for what he is talking about. To have your heart at your right hand, it means that you have control over it, over your affections, your attitude, and your will. Whereas someone who does not have self-control, it would be in their left hand, according to this analogy. So the lack of wisdom, wisdom is skill for life, living in a way that honors, pleases God, 
it expose it's exposed. So our lack of wisdom is exposed by our foolish choices. The neglect of wisdom, it causes us to put our foot in our mouth, careless words, emotional outbursts, boasting, attacking others critically without knowing all the facts. So uh, it's important to walk in wisdom. And I think especially in the digital age, it's better that, I mean, delete those ill-advised posts, but it's better to think twice and not post them than to post them. Someone takes a screenshot and it is recorded. It is kind of held against you forever in these emotionally charged issues in a public forum. So you don't want to make a lasting negative impression by the things you say, by a harsh word, by something you haven't thought through. Just, uh, it, and sometimes an apology can't undo. It can never undo what you've done. So uh, praise the Lord, there is forgiveness in him. And praise the Lord that sometimes when we offend people, they are gracious too, and they forgive us. But the harsh words we use, they can have a devastating impact on others and the neglect of restraint, it leads to conflict and hurt. Ecclesiastes 10 verse four. If the spirit of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your post for conciliation pacifies great offenses. There is an evil I have seen under the sun as an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in great dignity while the rich sit in a lowly place. I have seen servants on horses while princes walk on the ground like servants. In Christ, we're given wisdom to walk wisely as those under authority, the authority of God and the authority of others, because we're guided by him in humility. And we see that there can be conflict in the workplace. It's common. If you are in the workplace, you've experienced that. And in your families, you experience that. And we see that in the life of Joseph, right? Joseph is imprisoned. And while his time in that Egyptian prison, there was a baker and a butler that were sent to prison because they had a falling out with the Pharaoh. He was displeased with them. The butler ended up being restored to his position and he served again the king, but the baker was executed. The point is when someone in authority with you has a problem with you or they're their face is not kind to you as before. We do well to faithfully continue our role and serve as unto the Lord. Put your heart into it, serving the Lord, not quitting. So uh, there's another passage in Proverbs 21:15 in the NIV. It says, through patience, a ruler can be persuaded and a gentle tongue can break a bone. It's like the king has given you a post. If you've been placed somewhere, you ought to serve in that capacity, even if you haven't, um, if, if there's a, a problem, not to just quit, not to just run from the problem, but to continue applying yourself, serving the Lord there, because sometimes quitting, it can reveal at our core, a refusal to submit to God. And so it's like continuing your post, the King who's under the Lord has put you there. So keep serving faithfully. Keep working. You can't persuade people by your quitting or your fighting, but by gentleness, which is a fruit of the spirit. The gentle answer can change someone's heart. Even a king can be changed by that. I'm reminded of the Aesop's fable, the north wind and the sun. You know, the wind and the, the sun are arguing about who's stronger. And they decide like, oh, there's this guy walking by with a jacket. The one that can make him take his jacket off or get his jacket off of him. That's the stronger one. The wind's like, no problem. Blows this hurricane force wind. The more the wind blows, the guy wraps his jacket tighter. 
And then the son, after seeing the wind do his best, shines gently on the man. He's like, oh, it's getting a little hot. So he unbuttons the jacket and pretty soon he just takes the jacket off by himself and he sits under a tree in the shade. So um, the moral aligns with God's wisdom that gentleness is able to persuade where force fails. But the scripture differs from this fable for our point is not to win arguments or to prove ourselves stronger because that can be our aim, but to live by faith and obedience to God to continue in that difficult place where we'd like to be anywhere else, but know that God's put you there and he will help you and sustain you that there is peace and rest in him. Whether you're promoted, whether you're arrested, whether you're sacked, our words can be marked with gentleness and grace and to maintain that gentleness, even when you're in a position of authority, because that's where we can also make an error is you are the one promoted. You are the one with the authority and you begin to lack gentleness because you don't have to be. But remember, we are all under God. We are, all our words are spoken before him. And so he, he also observes an error that was in rulers, putting fools in position of power. Those who were skilled in profitable business were passed over. So he's like, the, the princes should be on the horses, not walking, but this is wrong. This should not be happening. Example of this, it's seen in Solomon's own son, Rehoboam, who preferred the counsel of his mates over those who had faithfully served his father for years. He, he said, like, what should we do? Um, and they said, listen to the people. The older folks said, listen to the people. And his mate said, threaten them. Threaten them, say, my little finger is thicker than my father's waist. You know, he... He beat you with whips. I will teach you a lesson with scorpions. And uh, it was foolish advice. He should not have followed it. In the kingdom of the Medes and Persians, how did an egotistical self-serving fool like Haman rise to be of such power and influence with the king? Well, because the king promoted him. That wasn't wise. In the Bible, there's two basic groups of people. In the world, there's two basic groups. It would be the foolish and the wise. The wise are those who fear God, who heed him, who trust in him. The fools act like there is no God, that they are God. The foolish imagines they're wise while the wise recognize the folly and to guard themselves against it. As the wise, we can learn much from both the wise and the foolish. We can learn what to do and what not to do. Proverbs 1, 7, it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Do you despise instruction and correction? Well, if you do, there's a little bit of foolishness that God would have us confess and repent of. Those who fear God are teachable. The wise are willing to take the low place as servants of all, like our Lord Jesus. Verse 8 he who digs a pit will fall into it. And whoever breaks through a wall will be bitten by a serpent. He who quarries stones may be hurt by them. And he who splits wood may be endangered by it. If the ax is dull and one does not sharpen the edge, then he must use more strength. But wisdom brings success. The flow of this first verse, it's similar to others in wisdom literature, a warning how our actions done against others can come back upon us. They can backfire. God will see to it that the wicked reap what they sow. David wrote this in Psalm 7:15. 15. 
He made a pit and dug it out and has fallen into the ditch, which he made his trouble shall return upon his own head and his violent dealing shall come down on his own crown. Tons of examples in scripture. This Haman, another one, uh, he was justly strung up on the gallows that he had built to hang righteous Mordecai, the Jew. Wicked men who flattered King Darius and said, oh, king, live forever. Let's make a law that people should only pray to you for the next 30 days. And anyone who doesn't, let them be thrown to the lions. And the king's like, well, that sounds pretty good. I have no idea why he thought that, but he, he's like, right on, let's do it. So the, the law is signed and Daniel continues praying three times a day. He's thrown into the den of lions. God protects him, saves him. He survives the night. What happened to those men who suggested this law? Yes, the law of the Medes and Persians cannot be changed, but you can always add a new law and say, those people, they're going in the lion's den. And they did not survive. God delivered Daniel, who is faithful to God. Now, these verses, however, have a greater scope. We see wisdom practically applied in our hearts, in relationships, as well as in physical labor. And throughout this whole chapter, Solomon's dealing with a lot of it. It's almost like Proverbs and other parts of scripture that are dealing with specific things that you can take to heart and apply in a spiritual way. Uh, like it's wise to think before speaking. It's also wise to be thoughtful of safety when you're working. Those who have dug holes have stumbled into them. By negligence of safety, demolition projects have led to people getting hurt and even dying. So use that personal protective equipment. Uh, protect your body from cuts and, and protect your eyes from flying pieces of metal and projectiles. And it's true when you're using manual, manual labor or power tools, like that sledgehammer that can crush concrete, it will do a number on your finger. Uh, that those power saws and pneumatic log splitters your bones will not provide any resistance against them. My dad said when he, he, he just buzzed off the two of his fingers and his, his table saw, he's like, you know, the blade didn't slow down. It was just easy, real easy. On a job site, I saw a young guy cutting stacks of metal studs, you know, a big chop saw. So there's 10 studs in this chop saw. And it's like, and there's like a wave of sparks, you know, like go for meters and he's not wearing goggles or a face shield. And I'm like, Oh, this kid, you know, I'm kind of concerned. He's definitely not using safe work practices, just turning your head and going, is it done yet? That's not a good way to work. So I went up to him and I said, Hey man, you should really put on some goggles or face shield. You could get that in your eyes. Like, Oh yeah. You know, I almost went blind in this eye because metal went into it. And I'm like, Dude, are you stupid? <laughs> Just because you have one good eye doesn't mean you should keep doing what you're doing. Put on some safety equipment. In Oz, I asked a farmer who lived, you know, in the bush. I said, so what would you tell a city, city folk like me going out to visit? What, what words of advice? Never put your hands where you can't see them. That's what I was told. You know, if you know there's venomous snakes and spiders, don't be just reaching under or trying to feel for things. You might feel something that you don't want to, and then it will get you. Verse 10, it talks about the neglect of sharpening cutting tools. It actually creates more work in the end. It's really that expression of work smarter, not harder. 
A little time spent sharpening a knife or an ax will make it more efficient. It will make your output of effort more effective. Maintaining that sharp edge, it will bring success. A sharp blade, just because it's a power saw, it does not mean that that blade stays sharp. If you've been using the same blade for 10 years, you probably should resharpen it or get a new one. Because if it's binding, it will kick back on you. There's much more, and your cuts won't be as clean. So sometimes we can neglect to do that because we're a bit lazy. We're like, it's just one cut. And we just try to force it through. Anyone here ever done that? It's like burning the wood. It's not even cutting it. Or getting it sharpened. Most people just buy new stuff. They don't sharpen them. But don't be that guy who loses a thumb because you've got two working thumbs when you knew better. You know, you have one good eye. Don't waste it. Be wise. Don't neglect safety. God's given us many warnings on a spiritual matter about the subtlety of sin, our need to confess and repent rather than ignoring it. And we can ignore it. We can allow ourselves to become spiritually dull where we're not being sharpened with brothers and sisters in Christ. We're not being open and transparent about our struggles or our problems. And we're not, um, because when you have iron sharpening iron, they must be in close proximity with each other. They must be touching each other. There, there is friction required to remove some of that stock so that it is sharp and will hold an edge. And so the neglect of these things leads to trouble. People that love us enough to say, be careful or your attitude stinks. You know, if we're unwilling to humble ourselves, we're heading for a fall due to pride. And God, he shows us. He is wise to help us. But let's be those who listen to him and heed his word. Ecclesiastes 10 verse 11. A serpent may bite when it is not charmed. The babbler is no different. The words of a wise man's mouth are gracious, but the lips of a fool shall swallow him up. The words of his mouth begin with foolishness and the end of his talk is raving madness. A fool also multiplies words. No man knows what is to be. Who can tell what will tell him what will be after him? The labor of fools wearies them for they do not even know how to go to the city. There's a lot of things I am not an expert in. Snake charming is one of them. Uh, some say the practice began around 4,000 years ago in Egypt in the last 50 years, snake charming has been made illegal in many countries because what would happen is you would catch a snake, you would defang them, then perform with that snake who's slowly starving. And that's why it's not attacking, why it's just there. And uh, it's, it's a wild thing that, I mean, in Solomon's day, I don't know how they, they uh, charmed the snakes, but as the, the person's moving, the snake begins to imitate the movement and then after a, a few months, then they get a new snake and that would just be repeated over and over. But to someone who doesn't know the practice, they would be like, wow, how do they have such control over this snake? What are they doing that this venomous snake isn't attacking them? And they're not even afraid of it. You know, they're kissing it. And like, so it's saying that this snake, it may bite when it's not charmed. Like you don't want to pretend to be a snake charmer with a snake that hasn't been fixed to be charmed. And those who speak, those who babble are no different. Someone who's given to gossip, they may be friendly to converse with, but their words can be poison. They can, they can strike. 
the words that they tell you know that the words you tell them, they are being passed on to others. And gossip would just spread like wildfire from house to house. And so this does great harm. We have to be wise with whom we confide in and who we listen to. And the following verses, they expand on this theme of foolish talk. Proverbs 18, 21 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruit. We will either, I guess, suffer the consequences of our words, or we will receive the blessing and benefit of the words that we say with our mouth. It says we confess Christ. We reap the reward of eternal life because we've been born again and confess that before the Lord and others. The words of a wise person, they are gracious words. We see this with Jesus in Luke 4, 22. And the people were amazed. The New Living Translation says, everyone spoke well of him and was amazed by the gracious words that came from his lips. How can this be? They asked, isn't this Joseph's son? They had heard Joseph talk. Jesus was talking in a different way. They're like, his words are gracious not the same. How is this possible? How are his words so gracious? In contrast to the wise man who speaks gracious words, it says the fool's mouth will swallow him up. There's many examples in scripture of those whose own words led to their demise. We have that Amalekite who said that he killed King Saul who was injured at his request. And he brought his ornaments to David And David said, you have spoken these words against your life, cut him down. And his life was over because he lied. He did not tell the truth. Uh, In the early church, we have Ananias and Sapphira asked by Peter. He said, do you sell the land for such and such an amount? They go, yeah, for so much. And they fell down dead before the Lord because they lied to the Holy spirit, having lied to God. So these examples, there was immediate judgment, but even if the judgment is delayed, know that it is coming. God is patient. He is compassionate and slow to anger, but we still bring ourselves under judgment by the things we say. Solomon observed how the foolish, they incriminate themselves, how they speak madness, that they're blind. They don't recognize how crazy they sound as they multiply words has no clue what's happening, but happy to voice his opinion. We see this with Peter on the Mount of Transfiguration. Probably one of my favorite examples of this, where Jesus brings Peter, James, and John up on the mountain. While the disciples are sleeping, Jesus is transfigured. He begins to shine in glory brighter than the sun. And Moses and Elijah are meeting with him and speaking about his decease and all that he would accomplish through his death. And Peter wakes up to hear them talking. And is he listened to them? No, he starts talking. He starts saying, you know, it's good for us to be here. I'll just read it to you. I don't want to misquote it. In Luke 9, 33 to 35. Then it happened as they were parting from him that Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. And let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them. And they were fearful as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son. Hear him. I have found by experience, it is difficult to hear while you are talking. Peter should have been listening. He didn't know what to say. So he said something. 
let's not be like Peter in this instance, because I have been guilty of what he was, you know, speaking when you should be listening. And he's speaking about things that he didn't know anything about. And unless God had interrupted him, he would have probably continued on saying very silly things. So the wise learned that instead of doing all the talking, we do well to listen to others, especially to the Lord. Now this section on those who neglect wisdom, it concludes with the labor of fools wearies them for they do not even know how to go to the city. This is be very ironic. You grew up in a town your whole life and you have no idea where the city is. Now we have a massive city in Sydney. You know, like it's, it's a huge area, but they would have a city that had walls and gates. The roads are all leading to the city. That's where you would do business. It's a place where you'd go and to not know how to get there. That's very ironic. It's like willful ignorance that you have no idea where the city is. That's like being in your house and not knowing where the toilet is. Like, how could you not know that? Jesus said a city on a hill cannot be hid. So if your city is on a hill and you don't know where that is, you've got issues. You've got problems. The fool is so caught up in his own pursuing his own needs and desires that he found himself unable to successfully navigate through life. That's what he's saying in a spiritual sense. God has shown us all the way to life, to the celestial city, the new heavens and new earth where we live forever in the presence of God. He's made the way clear. He's shown us the way in Jesus. And so the wise look to him who will someday take us to be with him. Yet we can be so wearied and distracted by earthly cares that we don't care to know the way. We don't even want to know the way, right? That's the human condition. Praise the Lord, he speaks, and he's given us his word. Ecclesiastes 10, 16. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child and your princes feast in the morning. Blessed are you, O land, when your king is the son of nobles and your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. Because of laziness, the building decays and through idleness of hands, the house leaks. Solomon said, it is woeful if your ruler is like a child. So this could be an adult. Just because we have grown older does not mean we stop behaving sometimes like children. Uh, make it, so here's, let's see what you think. Um, making foolish decisions without understanding uh, caring more about themselves than others, throwing tantrums, refusing to share, being moody and petulant, refusing to do what you're told, right? These are things that we all can do as adults. The Bible says that foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The exhortation is to train up a child in the way they should go. It means that a child is not naturally inclined to do what's right by themselves to uh, be corrected or to be taught. They must be trained. They must be shown what's right. Children can be easily influenced by what they hear. They can, their, their self-control can totally evaporate depending on the people that they're around. You're like, wow, putting these two kids together is like, you know, dynamite mixing with fire. Like they just, they, they, they don't make any sense anymore. Being really tired, being really hungry, it, it negatively impacts their mood. They give no thought to the labor of the, and the provision of their parents and what they provided. They just expect it to be there. 
And so if your ruler behaves and acts like a child, it's not going to be good for those under him or her. And this feast in the morning, it's not like having a big breakfast. This is getting drunk in the morning. This is having, this is drinking to excess. And we give bottles to babies to calm them. It's to our shame. If we're adult version that must have a bottle of alcohol to calm ourselves drinking to start the day. It usually results in drinking too much during the day. And it's one thing to destroy your own body and brain function by alcohol abuse and addiction. But if the family, if the business, if the nation is dependent on your wise leadership, drunkenness will devastate them. There's a proper time for feasting. And we need to show restraint in drinking what can intoxicate us. Now I pause on the subject on the abuse of alcohol because it was not a problem limited to princes or those who had access to vast vats of wine. But we see this among princes and priests in Israel. Uh, in Isaiah 28, after announcing woe upon the crown of pride and the drunkards of Ephraim, this is what it says. Isaiah 28, seven, but they have also aired through wine and through intoxicating drink are out of the way. The priest and the prophet have aired through intoxicating drink. They are swallowed up by wine. They are out of the way through intoxicating drink. They err in vision. They stumble in judgment. So twice here, he says they are out of the way. They have drifted from what's right. They don't see things clearly. They're making mistakes. They're speaking falsehoods because they have aired through wine. So they could not even see clearly by dr over drinking. They were consumed by it. And the sin of drunkenness, it was not limited to the old Testament, of course, because we see in the new Testament and one Corinthians 11, that Paul calls out the church because they would have a feast, wine and bread would be involved. They would be remembering the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, having communion, and they would get wasted. They would drink to excess indulging the flesh. When Jesus denied himself, took up his cross and died for their sin. So let's not neglect wisdom and restraint in eating and drinking. I think every culture has a fairly strong entrenched drinking culture. And we want to be a Holy spirit filled people. Verse 18, it says, because of laziness, the building decays through idleness of hands, the house leaks. Now lazy, that means to be slothful, reluctance to labor or action. Laziness leads to waste. Without regular maintenance, a fine house can become a ruin. Dwellings in Solomon's day, they used different materials to ours. I think ours are much more refined and durable. Like it was common that you would need to address your roof, like probably every year, maybe even multiple times because it'd be plaster and then sticks or, or uh, different leaves. And then another layer of plaster. And the idea is, is you would prepare for the wet season while it's not raining. So while it's dry, you're fixing the roof. You're, so it's preventing the, the rain from coming in. Uh, sickness in the household through mold or mildew, but the neglect of doing that, it led to damage. So laziness that leads to ruined houses. It rings true of the maintenance of our bodies, both physically and spiritually decay. That's a, that's a fitting word because it means a slow, gradual, almost unnoticed process, a decline that we didn't really notice at all. In the scriptures, we see 
the temple falling into various states of disrepair. Sometimes the doors were, were nailed shut. Other times it was defiled by rubbish. And it's like they needed to clean out the temple before a proper worship of God could be had again. And we are the temple of the Holy spirit. There's rubbish in our minds and our hearts. If there's sin that's besetting us, we ought to confess it, get it out of our lives. We can be lazy and idle and neglect the work that God's ordained us to do as his children. All right. Verses 19 and 20. A feast is made for laughter and wine makes merry, but money answers everything. Do not curse the king, even in your thought. Do not curse the rich, even in your bedroom. For a bird of the air may carry your voice, and a bird in flight may tell the matter. Feasting, laughing, having fun, drinking wine, it causes us to feel happy. But these activities, they can obscure how we're really going. They don't give us an accurate picture of how we're doing, physically or spiritually. Solomon says, Money answers everything. We can justify eating too much because we work to earn it. We can justify drinking more because of the stress of work and, or how successful we've been. And money can be like caulking that will superficially fill the cracks of crumbling relationships and our reputation and our physical and spiritual health. And as fun as those activities can be and many others, we shouldn't limit it just to that. They cannot replace our need for meaningful labor. God made us to work, to do his work, to do the things he's called us to do. And we live in, in an age where we work to put food on the table. But even if you have all the money in the world, God would have us work. He would have us do his work. And as we enjoy all that he provides, let us labor to be pleasing to him. Solomon warned against cursing the king or the rich, those who had power to promote, to hire, to fire. Those comments that you make and you think tent walls are not very soundproof. The things that you say about your ruler, they will find a way to be heard by that ruler. Like a little bird will come and some anonymous person will share. Did you hear this? Did you hear that? Or there's something you heard that was not meant for your ears, but you repeat it. I am certain that a childish king will be a lousy ruler, but will be an expert to take vengeance on those who cross him. It's wise that we take our complaints to the Lord in prayer. Psalm 39, we talked about it Friday night. It's a great example of that. Like let's vent to God. Let's speak to God. Let's pour out our heart before him who actually can change us and change the situations. He has the power to change our attitude and sway the hearts of others. So let's not be the little birdie that is uh, sharing the message not intended for our ears. Could you turn in your Bibles to Hebrews 13 verse 20 as, as we close talking about the danger of neglect, how it impacts many aspects of our lives and making wise choices, but God supplies a remedy the remedy is that we would be faithful and obedient to live in the manner that pleases God. His word and wisdom, it provides guidance for our daily lives, just like wearing personal protective equipment or how we should conduct ourselves as a businessman. Um, the, God is doing a work, 
but know that the work he's doing, it requires our cooperation. He would have us join with him voluntarily. He's not going to force us to be more like him. He shows us the way and he gives us the opportunity. He gives us the power and the strength, but we must choose to go his way to humble ourselves before him. And there's this real great encouragement here in Hebrews 13, 20 and 21. It says, now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will working in you. What is well pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Because of who Jesus is, because of what Jesus has done, he makes us complete in every good work to do what? To do his will as he works in us to make us God honoring people, loving children of God. He created us to be, and his work is not a one and done thing. Like, Oh yeah, he did that in me and it's over. No, it's continuous. Notice it says there, working in you, not did a work. He's working in you, working in you to do what is well-pleasing in his sight. So it's for us to, to read a, a passage like this and take stock of our life. You know, like if we've got a rat in the boot, let's evict it. If the ax is dull, let's sharpen it. If we are dull, let us be sharpened. If we've neglected to be gentle, let's extend grace and mercy. If the roof is leaky, now is the time when it's dry and sunny to be addressing it. If your physical health, if your spiritual well-being has begun to decay and decline, now is the time to take the action that God's putting on your heart to do. The thing that you thought, you know, I should really do that, but you just haven't. Well, today's the day to start doing that to take it to him in prayer for guidance because the price of neglect is too high to ignore. That's why Solomon spends a whole chapter talking about things that if we neglect them, there will be a price because of Christ working in us. We have a remedy for negligence, the hope of restoration and a glorious future. And so what, what joy is ours when we walk in his ways, God working in us to do what is well-pleasing this sight through Jesus. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this exhortation, for us to look at our lives. And Lord, show us if there are areas or where there are areas of neglect, because there are so many things that command our time and our interest, and we can be distracted and forgetful and and we need you to walk wisely, Lord. We need you to help us to be walking in wisdom because on our own, we go our own way and we're just lost. We need you to deliver us, Lord, from sin. We need to deliver us from our own folly so that we might seek you and we might glorify and do what's well-pleasing in your sight. Thank you, Lord, that you are working in us, that you are doing a work today uh, that, that is a good work and that will have eternal fruit and bring glory to your name. And I pray that we'd be those willing workers who will stay at our post, who will labor strongly for you, who will bring you honor and praise, and that we would um, just be the children of God you've created us to be. That we would honor our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and that we would avoid the pitfalls of a little folly mixed in with wisdom. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.